Mark chapter number 4 tonight, beginning in verse number 35, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I'm sure you're very, very familiar with it. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Uh, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you again for this precious opportunity to stand, Lord, in your church, with your people, in your pulpit, your word, in your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that since our sufficiency is of you, that you'd meet our needs tonight, Lord. I pray that you give me unction and power to preach. Help me not to say anything that you wouldn't have me to say, and help me to say everything with boldness that you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray that tonight you get the glory and honor out of what's done. Meet every heart's need according to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Boy, when I read these few verses in Mark chapter number 4, it's like speaking to a familiar friend. And as a young person, I'm amazed at how many times the Lord has used this passage in my heart and in my life. And so some of us that may have just a couple more years uh, on those of us that are younger, I trust that this is a familiar and well-worn passage to you as well. It speaks so much to the humanity of life. And I believe that's important because, you know, the Bible says that Christ was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to walk this earth and to face those trials. And there's nothing that you go through that Christ did not first go through. That's hard to imagine, but it's true. And as we go upon this sea in this dark night, and we see the storm rage and the wind blow and the billows crash against the boat, In many ways, we see a picture of the things that we face in our everyday life. I've said it before, and you've heard it many times, but uh, it's still true even tonight, that every one of us, we're either going through a storm, we've just come out of one, or we're headed into one. We all face these things in our life. So I believe it'd be good for us tonight to take to heart some truths from this passage, and I'm going to try just to go through and just give them to you very quickly, and I trust the Lord will do a work in your heart. As we look at this passage, I want us to notice first off the context of this scene. Uh, the Bible tells us that it was when the even was come. Very likely it was the darkest of night when upon this sea the winds began to blow. And as we look at this passage, it strikes me interesting that they were in a place of darkness when the storms came. You know, I wish I could say that the Christian life was always a bed of roses, but you know, even rose bushes have thorns. You walk through this life long enough, you're going to face difficulty and you're going to face dark times. When I think of darkness and I think of the fear that's associated with darkness, uh, I think of the despair that's associated with not knowing what's going on and that deep, lonely feeling. I can't help but think that so many people 
battle with the loneliness and the depression. And many times when we're facing those things, storms come upon us and we find double suffering and double sorrow. Not only was it a dark night, but I find it interesting in this passage that they were at a transitional time. Christ had said, let us pass over. It was an act of faith. They were putting themselves in the hands of the Savior. And it was at this time that a storm began to brew. And you know, the Christian life is a progressive thing. Salvation is not a progressive thing. We're saved in a moment. But the Christian life is a progressive thing. It's an everyday uh, life. We, we walk with the Lord and we talk with the Lord and we grow in our Christian walk. And if we're not moving forwards, we're moving backwards. There is no standing still. The Bible likens us to a plant, uh, to a tree planted by rivers of water. And we know that a plant, it's either growing or it's dying. And as a Christian, as we uh, serve the Lord, it's interesting to note that our faith is either being strengthened or it's suffering. We're either getting closer to the Lord or farther from Him. There's no neutrality in our walk with the Lord. And I'd encourage all of us tonight to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, could we say definitely that we're growing in the Lord? Because the truth of the matter is, you just about always know it when you're growing in the Lord, but you're not always aware of it when you're drifting from Him. And a good litmus test, a good, a good test to look at in our lives is this, do I know that I'm growing in the Lord? Am I growing in my faith? Am I growing in my giving? Am I growing in my service? Am I getting closer to the Lord? And if not, it's very likely that I'm drifting farther and farther away. But in this transitional time, their faith was being exercised. They were trusting the Lord. And it was when they were trusting Him that this storm came. Can I tell you this evening that a lot of times when you take a, take a step closer to the Lord, that's just when the storms begin to rage. When you determine in your life you're going to walk closer with Him. How many of you this has happened to you in your life? Uh, you've got up from an altar and wiped the tears from your eyes and your heart elated over the fact that you've made a commitment to God. You've determined there was something in your life that you wanted to get out of your life and be closer to the Lord. And it was like you walked straight from the place of sacrifice into the place of storms. And it's almost as though uh, the reason it got bad was because you were walking closer to the Lord. Can I tell you that it upsets the devil when Christians get closer to God? It upsets the devil when Christians take a step in faith. And many times in this transitional time, that's when storms will begin to come. Can I say also it was at a time that was designated for rest? They were traveling across. It was a transitional time. They were putting their faith in the Lord. But it was also a time when most people would have been sleeping and most people would have been resting. And many times... Uh, it seems like the, the periods in our life that we dedicate to rest are some of the most tumultuous. They weren't serving. They weren't doing anything. Uh, they were just sitting in the boat. And in those times of stillness, many times the storms come. Our Lord looks at them and says, let's pass over to the other side. And we see not only the context of the scene, but the crossing of the sea. I believe it's important to note that this walk of faith that we're in, it, it entails dangers. Now, you may say, well, preacher, I don't think my head's going to be took off. I don't think I'm going to be uh, martyred for the cause of Christ. Maybe you won't. But can I say that serving God, many times uh, there's emotional dangers. Many times as you serve God, there's financial dangers. Uh, when you love people like Christ commanded you to love them, there's a chance they're going to hurt you back. You know that? When you give the way that God commands us to give, there's a chance your bills aren't going to make it. 
When you, and when I say there's a chance, I mean humanly speaking there's a chance of these things. When you determine that you're going to serve God the way God wants you to serve Him, uh, there's a risk that you're going to lose friends and lose acquaintances. There's a risk that you're going to get worn out and going to get tired. It's a dangerous thing. But we see as they cross this sea, and I'm sure that many of them, when they began to cross this sea, they thought of those sudden storms that could come up on the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't unusual. In fact, that's part of the danger in fishing boats going out during the night on the Sea of Galilee is that these storms would just blow up out of nowhere. And in a moment, on a crystal clear night, the winds would begin to blow and the waves would begin to crash. And so they knew there was a danger. But I want you to notice that they were crossing this sea by the command of the Lord. We see a certain commandment. They weren't crossing this sea because they wanted to cross it. I think it's worth taking note of that we don't serve God. Now, we ought to want to serve God, mind you. But we don't serve God just because that's what we want to do. You know that there's going to be times in your Christian life that the Lord's going to have you do things that your flesh doesn't want to do. That you're going to do them, and it's not because it's going to benefit you financially or benefit you as far as your friends and your social standing. You see, we're servants as well as sons and as daughters. And so they were commanded to cross this sea. But that tells me something, that when they were commanded, and they obeyed, they got in the ship, and they began to drift across this sea, that even in the will of God, storms arise. You know, sometimes we like to think as we serve God that if we serve God good enough, we're not going to face hard times. Or even if we face them, that we're not going to feel them. I think we have a very skewed perception of what the peace of God really is. I think sometimes we see people that have the peace of God in their life and they're trusting the Lord and they're in the midst of a trial and a storm and we see strength in their life and we see commitment and faith in their life and they're walking with God and we just assume that they are supernaturally alleviated of any worry and of any doubt. Can I tell you that as you serve God, even in the midst of God's will, there's going to be scary times. Times when you're not sure the boat's going to make it. Times when you're not sure everything's going to turn out okay. But you can be assured of this, that if you're there by the commandment of God, you have His providence. You see, they were crossing this sea because God had commanded them to. But not only do we see a certain commandment, we see a storm commencing. Even in the midst of serving God, the trials come and the difficulties come. And don't think for one minute, just because you're reading your Bible and praying, that there won't be difficult times. The wonderful thing about God is that even in the difficult times, He'll be with you. You see, that's what's unusual. You study any other religions and you'll find that the religious leaders and you'll find that the the people that other religions put their faith in, as soon as the difficulties arise, those leaders and those gods are nowhere to be found. But we find in Christianity that our Lord, He's right in the middle of it with us. We see that these storms begin to commence, but I, I believe the scariest part is this. Look at verse number 38. Some of you may know what I'm talking about when I say this. Others of you may not. It says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Let me tell you the toughest thing about going through storms is when there's a silent captain. I don't know that you'll understand this, and maybe you will. I don't mean to underestimate the experience of anyone in this room. But there's times when in your most difficult moments, it feels like God is silent. I don't think I'm overstepping experience by saying this. I know it's true in my life. If there's been times, and and preacher's just going to get real real with you right now, there's been times in my life when it seems like the prayer closet has been shut to me. 
There's been times in my life when I open God's Word, and it's not that it's not true, and it's not that it's not good, but you read cover to cover, you read chapter to chapter and verse to verse, and it's like you can't get a word from the Lord. Can I tell you that sometimes in the midst of the storms, it feels like He's asleep. I, I mentioned this, I believe it was on Sunday night, that when we study the life of Abraham, we find that uh, sometimes God was silent and there were times when God was speaking to him. And I gave the illustration of a teacher and a teacher speaks all during class. And for days upon days upon days, he gets in front of the class and he speaks and he teaches. And when the test time comes, he sits down and he's quiet. The teacher doesn't speak in the midst of the test because it's the time for the pupil to apply what he's learned. Let me tell you something. As we walk in faith and as we trust God on a daily basis, don't think just because it seems like God is absent that He is. Because we find that even though Christ was asleep, He was still conscious of them. He was still aware of what they were going through. I think it's interesting what He said. He said, why are you so fearful? He didn't say, why did you come to me crying? He didn't say, why did you come to me beckoning that I do something? But he looked into their innermost heart. He was aware of their fears. Let me tell you something. God's aware not only of what you say and what you think, but of what you feel as well. You know, sometimes, and I believe we ought to learn how to control our emotions. I really do. But God give us emotions. You know that? Uh, God give us fear. God give us uh, the ability to have anxiety. And don't think for one moment, just because you're going through a difficult time and it feels like God's not present, don't think for one moment that He's not. Don't think for a moment that God isn't aware of the things that you're facing. Everyone around you may be unaware. I think it's interesting that we don't find the disciples consoling each other. Well, we don't have it recorded that John looked over at Peter and said, Oh, okay, Peter, it's going to be all right. You just, you just sit back. Everything's going to be okay. But in a collective voice, they cried out. To the Savior. Now, a lot of times, the people around you can't help you in the storm. Because sometimes they're in the same mess that you are. Sometimes they're going through things that you've never imagined. Sometimes they're dealing with things that, that you've never been through. And so this silence is magnified. And I'm sure they thought within themselves, surely we're all going to perish. We see the crossing of the sea, but we see the cries of these sailors. What do we do when we're in the midst of a storm? I, I, I tend to believe sometimes we do what these men did. We have one short phrase given to us in Luke's account, and I want you to notice it with me there uh, in uh, verse number 38. It says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know, sometimes we're pretty hard on people in the Bible. And we sit there and they think, well, I, I would have never done that like they did. But, you know, you really examine what they said, and you'll find that many times we're guilty of the same thing they are. They said, Master. And I, I don't know, I can't look into their hearts, but I kind of think that word Master was an empty word followed by what they said. Truthfully, if they believed he was their Master... And they believed who he said he was, he was who he said he was. You'd think that would have just depended on him. But, you know, sometimes we use words as a preface to something we're about to say. And sometimes we use them afterwards. I know, you know, here in the South, you can say, bless his heart. You can say anything about somebody. 
as long as you say bless their heart afterwards, you know. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You can say that boy is just as ugly as homemade sin, bless his heart. And I don't know why, but that makes it okay. And I kind of think when they said master, that was an empty title. You know, sometimes we confess him as Lord with our lips, but not with our life and not with our heart. Sometimes we'll say all the right things, but our life says something different. And you know, what really matters is not as much what our lips say when we're in the storm, but what our life says. They said three things I want you to notice where they, they showed a doubt in three things. I want you to notice they doubted His concern for them. They said, carest thou not? Now, I know you're not carnal like me. I know that. And I know you don't doubt sometimes uh, about God's providence for your life. I know you're closer to the Lord than that. But can I tell you that sometimes we're just as guilty of thinking to ourselves, you know, if the Lord really cares so much about me, why did He allow this to happen in my life? If the Lord really cares so much, why would He allow me to lose that loved one? If He really cares so much, why would He allow this to happen to my family? If He really cares so much, why would He allow this sickness? Why would He allow these financial hardships? Sometimes it feels like God doesn't care. Can I tell you that that's times when feelings need to be put aside and the Word of God has to be the captain of our life and of our thoughts. They said, He doesn't really care. Carest thou not? Notice they said that we perish. They doubted not only His concern, but His commitment. You know, He had taken their, uh, taken their lives into His care. Uh, he had found them. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were insignificant people just toiling away, living their life. And they left all, forsook all, the Bible says. And the Bible says they followed Him. That's a commitment. When we say we're going to follow God, that's a commitment on our behalf, but it's a commitment on His behalf in that He allows us to follow Him. He had committed to their care. And you know, sometimes, even though the Lord loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us, we doubt that He's really going to carry us through this life. Sometimes we allow other preachers, sometimes we allow other Christians, sometimes we allow authors and Bible teachers to convince us that the Christian life is never going to have any turmoil and convince us that the love of God means that there will be no difficulty. But we study the Word of God and we find out that those that walked by faith and trusted God, what does the Bible say? They dwelt in caves. They were sawn asunder. They were beheaded. The Bible says that the world was unaware of them and the world was not worthy of them. The truth of the matter is, just because we're having difficult times, that doesn't mean God's given up on us. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God promised me that when I got saved, I'd never have a difficulty after that. Now, if you can find that, show it to me. But I can't find it anywhere. Uh, it sounds trite and cliched to say you've seen it on church signs. I'm sure you've seen it on bumper stickers. But it's oh so true that the Lord has never promised us a smooth flight, just a safe landing. He promised us that He would be with us. And friend, it's not faith until things look dismal. It's not faith until the wind begins to blow. It's easy to have faith when the skies are bright and the sun is shining and the wind is calm. But it really begins to be faith, tried and true, when the storms begin to, to come. I want you to notice that we see not only they doubted his concern and his commitment, but they doubted his comments that he had made. Now, it's interesting that Christ didn't say, let's get in a boat and head that way. He didn't say, let's get in a boat and see how far we can go. But He said, let us pass over to the other side. 
Christ had made the commitment and made the command to them. He said, if you'll get in this boat, we'll make it to the other side. They had the Word of God on it. Can I tell you that uh, the Bible teaches us that beyond any experiential instances in the life of a believer that the Word of God reigns supreme? The Bible teaches us that even beyond true experiential instances, the Word of God is our supreme authority. You say, Preacher, what do you mean by that? What I mean is this. Peter said that uh, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and majesty of His coming, but were eyewitnesses. Now, what Peter's talking about is he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says that we saw Christ in His glory. Now, that really happened. He's not saying we followed cunningly devised fables. He says we have this tremendous experience. But where was Peter putting his faith? By the way, Peter was on that boat that night. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. The truth of the matter is this. We have God's promise that come what may, He's by our side. Now, you say that's simplistic, preacher. Yeah, it's the simple truths that are difficult to get sometimes. You say, preacher, that's elementary and that's true. But sometimes it's the basic childlike truths of the Word of God that we struggle with the most. Could it really be that God will never leave me nor forsake me? Yes. You have the very promise of God on it. I mean, listen, neighbor, this, this book right here, this book is what the, wor- what the world was built upon. This book, the Bible says that worlds were framed by the Word of God. I've given this illustration, although it's been some time since I have, about the Word of God as the foundation for creation. If I was to tell some of you uh, that tomorrow the sky is going to turn purple, the grass is going to turn blue, if I was to tell you that tomorrow up is going to be down and down is going to be up, if I was to tell you that cats are going to moo and cows are going to meow, you'd say, you're crazy. There's no way that's true. If I say, why? You'd say, because it goes against the very laws of nature. We have a confidence in the laws of nature. Rightly so. Who made the laws of nature? The Bible says that the Word of God, that the world was framed upon the Word of God. He spoke this world into existence. You see, friend, the very thing that this world is framed upon is the foundation of creation. The reason that up is up and down is down is because God spoke it so. I've given this illustration that you can build a building as high, as tall, as structurally sound as you wish, but if the foundation is not sure, she'll come toppling down. I've got many proofs that the Word of God is perfect and infallible and preserved and inerrant. And I don't mean original manuscripts. I don't mean goat skins, but I mean this King James Bible that I hold in my hand. There's a lot of proofs that I have that it is the very words of God. But I'm going to give you one that most people don't talk about. The fact that the sun rises in the morning tells me that God's Word is true. The fact that the rains fall. The fact that the laws of nature go on uninterrupted except when God divinely interposes His will upon them. But other than that, the surety and the consistency of creation is a testimony to me that the Word of God is true. You say, what does it all mean, preacher? What does it all matter? I am as confident that God is going to take care of me 
whatever things may look like, however high the waves may grow, however hard the wind may blow, I'm as confident that God is going to take care of this old poor sinner saved by grace as I am that the sun's going to come up tomorrow, as I am sure that gravity will be in function tomorrow. I'm as sure of it as that. You see, they disregarded his comments. God had said, I'm going to take care of you. We're going to pass to the other side. But you know, when we doubt God, we're doubting His Word. We're saying, Lord, I know You made this promise, but I just don't believe that You're going to keep Your promise. We see the cries of the sailors. Many times we're all guilty of it. But I'm thankful for this. We see the calming of the Savior. It's such a sweet passage. It says, And He arose, in verse 39, rebuked the wind said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Through these storms, they saw the power of God. Can I tell you that in your storm that you're going through, if you'll just open your eyes to see what God is doing in your life, you'd be amazed at the power of God present in your everyday life. If you'd open your eyes to see what God is doing. Let me tell you where I believe we see the calming of the storm here very clearly, but what about the calming of the sailor? Uh, I, I'm interested to note that the Bible says it with very clear, definite testimony that he arose. That tells me something. That tells me that they took their eyes off of what was going on around them and they put their eyes on the Savior. When they got their eyes where they were supposed to be, they realized that everything was going to be okay. Despite what the circumstances around them was telling them when they took their eyes off of the storm, put them on the Savior, they found peace and calm. He stepped between them. He made a way. And they saw His power very evident. But they not only saw His power, they saw the plea that He made. This is so condemning of us in our daily lives. It says, And He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? He looked at them and he, He asked them, if I could put it in in modern language, although the Word of God is modern enough. But if I was to say it in, in common language as if I was talking to you, he, he looked at me and said, What is it that you're so afraid of? Why are you so fearful? What is it that you have to be scared of? I kind of think, and, and I, I won't try to intrude upon God's Word, but if we could use our imagination for a moment, and if I could continue the, the line of questioning, you forgive me, it's imagination. Don't make more of it than what it is. But I, I kind of wonder if maybe uh, the Lord wouldn't have said to them, don't you realize that the hand that calmed them was the hand that created them? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that He is, I believe it's the book of Isaiah, it says that He has measured out the waters in the palm of His hand. And I, I, I kind of think that maybe He would have looked at him and said, don't you realize that these hands that hand that I held up and said, Peace be still. Don't you realize that these seas recognize this hand? Don't you realize that it's this hand that called for this storm? It's the same hand that's calming it. In the middle of His will, this storm arose. That should have told them something. That should have told them that this storm was a part of God's will. And I kind of wonder if He wouldn't have said, Why are you so afraid? Don't you realize my power? I wonder if He wouldn't have said, Why are you so afraid? Don't you realize my presence? I'll tell you, friend, there was a lot of ships on the sea that day, the Bible tells us, or that night. There were other little ships. We don't know what happened to those ships, but we do know what happened to this ship. This ship wasn't going to go down, not while the Savior was in it. The ship represents in many ways our life that we live. 
And can I tell you that when you have Christ in the midst of your life, you may be sailing on choppy seas, but the Creator of the universe is who's sailing with you. The very one that saved you and the very one that has a plan for your life. What cause is there to doubt? Ralph sings the song, and I like it. No need to doubt Him now. What has God ever done in our lives that would give us cause to think He'd fail us? I could, we, we could have a thousand times the number of people that we have here tonight and the result would be the same. And I, I could ask each and every person to give me just one example, just one, one example of when God has not kept His promise. We could go from person to person. They could scratch their head till they didn't have no hair left. And we'd find that there was no one that could really give us an example of a time when God had failed them. So what's the cause of our doubt? cause of our doubt is the flesh. The Bible says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. I know that God has given us the capacity to have anxiety, but He's not given us a cause to have anxiety. So the doubt that we have amidst the storm, the source of that is not God Almighty, but it's our flesh. The flesh has a tendency to doubt always. The Bible says uh, that the natural man is at enmity with God. He cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They can only be received by the spiritual man. Uh, these sailors were in the flesh. That's why they feared. You say, preacher, boy, you're being hard on us. You're telling me when I'm afraid that I'm in the flesh. Yeah, and I'm telling you, you're just like every one of us that, that fear sometimes too. We all go through it. He gave this plea. Why are you so fearful? I want to note one thing, and I'm going to close. Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? Well, we could stop and preach on that all night, but I won't. That even the wind and the sea obey Him. They learned a little something more about the Savior that night. We see His power and we see His plea, but we see His purpose in the storm. I think one of the hardest things about going through difficulties and going through storms is this, that we can't ascribe purpose to it. There's something about suffering needlessly that the human heart can't bear. And many times we feel to ourselves, if I just knew why God was doing this, I could take it. Can I promise you something tonight? i tell you what, my promises ain't worth nothing. I'm just old flesh. But can I tell you that God promises you something tonight? Anything you go through has purpose. doesn't matter what it is. You say, I don't see the purpose. You don't have to see the purpose. But every bit of it has purpose. And we found that they learned more about who Christ was that night. I believe that the main purpose for everything in our life is that we might come to the fullness of the knowledge of Him. That we might know more of who and what He is. Let me tell you something. Experience is a teacher that there's no substitute for. It's good that we can learn things not from our own experience because you've heard it before and it's true that experience is the best teacher, but it's an expensive one. And that's very true, but there's some things in our life... Listen, if you didn't need the storm that you go through, God wouldn't send you through it. There's a purpose. There's something you're going to get from it that you couldn't get any other way. Sometimes we like to think that God is a pretty hateful guy. I know we do. We like to think that God sits up in heaven and laughs at our calamity. The Bible says He does laugh at the calamity of the wicked, but not of His children. And sometimes we think, well, God's put me through this, and it's just some kind of twisted test to prove devotion. No, that's the wonderful thing about God. Everything God does is both for His good, uh, for our good, and for His glory. It's, he's going to get glory out of it. 
but it's also for our good. Close with this, Romans 8.28. And we know, we know, not we think, nobody quotes that part of the verse. They always say, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. No, Paul said, and we know, there's a surety of this. Paul said, by my personal experience and by the teaching and principle and mandate of the Word of God, we have a certainty and we know that all things work together for good. For them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. If you love God this evening, if you've been saved by God's grace, I promise you there's nothing you go through that hasn't gone through God's hands first. 